We do get some strange readings in the year of Luke, don't we? Increase our faith. We need bigger faith. We need stronger faith. We need more of it. It's understandable that the disciples would say this because just before this reading, Jesus says, if you're going to forgive, you ought to forgive seven times seven. And apparently the Greek is recurring, so it's basically seven times seven times seven times. It means you've just got to always forgive. And the idea that we have to do that, or that that's even possible, would sort of make you think, maybe I need a lot more faith than I've got. How do you forgive without more faith? A lot of forgiving needs a lot of faith. If you had more faith, haven't we used that often as a weapon? Or as a term of shame? If you had more faith, your life would turn around, it would be different. But I think it's a, a real misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. Faith is not a tool. It's not a piece of technology to manipulate the world. And I say that because Jesus uses a very strange, incredibly absurd idea when he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. This is how we use faith, isn't it, so often? is If I have enough faith, I can make things different than they are. We have faith in our own abilities. In fact, that's what we're doing at the moment, is our faith in our own abilities has got us to the point where we're planting not mulberry trees in the ocean, where they obviously can't grow, but we're certainly planting crops in salt pans of our own making, where we've denuded the land. We've literally planted things in salt that shouldn't be planted there because we've torn up the topsoil, because we've trusted that we know better than the land itself. We know better than the indigenous people who've been here for 60,000 years. And so we've got denuded farmland all over Australia because we've had faith in our own ability and in what we understand and how things work. But if forgiveness is something that is ongoing, then somehow faith is the same. It's not a tool. It's not a technology. It's not believing the right set of doctrines or being the right moral person. We've made it too often into a test of orthodoxy. We've required people to believe all sorts of strange things. We've required people to believe that virgins can give birth to babies, that people can come back to life, that terminal illnesses can be turned around and healed. And they're hard things to believe. Even if there's so much truth in them, they're hard to believe. But we've required people to do that. And in various times in history, if you haven't given assent to creeds, you've either been ostracised or even worse. We're forcing ourselves to say things and do things that, are, that we think are faith, but are actually 
actually statements that are beyond us. Faith, faith is not a technology to make things work. Faith is, if you want to put it in another term, and perhaps a better term for us today, is trust. If you use the word trust instead of the word faith, it demonstrates even more the absurdity of Jesus' statement. If you have trust, you could uproot this mulberry tree and plant it in the sea. Well, trust, does this make it? Trust in what? And why would you do that? What, what is the point of that? Trust is not getting power. In fact, trust, if you like, is giving up power. When you think about how you got here today, most of us drove or were driven. We put an enormous amount of trust in other people that they would do what we're trying to do, which is obey the law, stay in our lane and indicate when we're turning and all the other things that we've learned to do when we learn to drive. We trust that people will generally do the right thing. We know they won't always, so we have to be uh, on our guard and we have to be aware of our own failings. But generally, trust. But to trust, of course, we have to give up control because we have to assume and hope that everyone else will do the right thing. Faith, trust, is not about controlling things, moving this to there and, you know, rearranging the landscape to the point where we've denuded it. It's not about getting power. It's more, if anything, it's about giving up. When you sat down today, you gave up control, gave hope and trust that the chair that you're sitting on would not collapse. You didn't do it in the front of your brain, but you certainly did it. The absurdity of trust being about control. That's why Jesus talks about mulberry trees and salt water. And, and then he goes on and he, does, he tells us an even more absurd story to illustrate what he's saying. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from ploughing or tending sheep in the fields, who among you? Now, remember, there's another way of translating this in some of the other English versions. Suppose you had a slave who has just come in from the field. Suppose you had a slave. That's absurd. Scholars reckon at least a third, possibly more, of the entire Roman Empire population were slaves. And certainly the entire population of Palestine, where Jesus was, acted as slaves because they were a colonised people. They were a vassal state of Rome. So when Jesus says to mostly peasants, many slaves, suppose you had a slave. They're ready for a joke. Yeah, so, yeah okay, let's suppose, let, let's suppose I wasn't a slave and I actually had one. Would I tell that slave to come in, sit down and I would feed you? Of course not. This is a joke. Let's just go with the story a bit. Would you say, come here at once and take your place at the table? Of course you wouldn't. Slavery is about mastery and control. You don't buy a dog and bark yourself. That's the whole point of it. That's why you have a slave. They cost money, a slave, to enslave another human. A person costs money to get them and to keep them because you don't want them to die on you, so you have to feed them. 
That's why in the story, you know, you do let the slave eventually eat. If faith is about having more, then it's always going to be about control. Control of the environment, control of each other, control of people, actually owning a human being. Supposing you had a slave. Well, this is how the world works. This is how 90% of the people Jesus is talking to know how the world works. They know the experience of the last verse that Jesus tells them. So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, you say, we're worthless slaves. We have done only what we were commanded to do. Why? Because there is no other option. That's what slaves do, just what they're commanded. You don't want a slave to start thinking for oneself. Just do as you're told, sit down, shut up. For many people in the world, that's how they experience the world. It's just fit in. Do as you're told, keep your head down. What's happening in Iran at the moment is that thousands of women and many men joining them are saying, we can't do that anymore. We can't be treated as subhuman because we've worn a hijab or a scarf slightly incorrectly and they will be arrested and, as has happened to a young woman, be killed. That's not the way human beings should live, but that's the way we experience it. What would it be like at the moment to be in some of the provinces of Ukraine that Putin has said are now part of Russia? Well, he said, of course, all of Ukraine is a part of Russia, but now he's annexed these small territories. People who suddenly wake up this morning somehow in a different country. Because that's the way the world is. The rich and the powerful always manipulate the world to their own end. That's why Jesus says, suppose you were one of those people. Well, of course you're not. So you know the story, that you're a worthless slave, someone of no value. So where's the good news? Where's the good news that Jesus said in Luke 4 was his whole project? Good news to the poor, liberation to the captives, and freedom for the oppressed. Who among you would say to your slave, well, none of us. We know how the world works. Some of us are in control. Some of us are the horse's hooves, and some of us are the horse's hoof prints. Who among you? Well, actually, there is one, Jesus. Because he tells a story in a, in a chapter just before this, almost an identical story of somebody putting on an apron and feeding. But it's the reverse story. It's not the slaves doing what slaves are supposed to do putting on their apron and feeding the master who has come home and then later eating eating themselves. That story, the master comes home and he puts on an apron and he feeds the slaves. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. Who among you would do this? Jesus would. 
because that's the way the world is supposed to be. That's the truth of the world. That's the world in which we live in trust. Not faith that can make us do things, that can make us, more, make us superior to others because we have more faith. Or we're true Christians and those others are not. Look at all those people who are not in church on Sunday when they should be like us because we're good Christians. No, it's none of that. It's not that at all. It's just trust. Trust in the true world. Not command and control, but welcome and acceptance. Not increase our faith, but gentle, moment-by-moment trust. And if we don't live like that, of course, we miss out on the truth of the world. The goodness of the world as God invented it, as God created it, as God continues to invent and create it in every moment. That's the truth. So it's not increase our faith. It's trust in a world where things are actually the reverse of what they often are. I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have you and me sit down and eat. He will come and serve us. That's something to look forward to, isn't it?